everybody. How are y'all? Good, good. Thank y'all so much for all the, the wonderful testimonies this morning. I needed that. Uh, this morning was one of those mornings where my schedule just didn't flow like I expected it to. I woke up late and then kids were being kids and they're allowed to do that. And so anyway, I, I, it was good for me to hear that. Um, and I really appreciate the here, I, was, I was talking to Bethany last night, and I, I was telling her we were kind of discussing this study, and I'm really enjoying it. And something that I don't know if I've said this from the outset, but kind of my intent, I feel like God's intent for us during this study is for us to be kind of introspective, for us to learn what it means to love like Jesus. And then after we end this six-week study, which we're in the middle of right now, then we're going to spend some time focusing on what that means for us as a community, as a body of believers. How do we, how do we as a community love like Jesus did? Uh, and so for us, for these next six weeks, focusing on what God's doing in our own life is significant. And what I love this morning is that all of these testimonies that we heard is about what you guys are experiencing of God's love as you're doing life with one another and with the people that you that you work with, the friends that you have, and that has been excellent. If uh, this is your first time with us this morning, we're in the middle of a series called Love Like That, um, and we're on a quest to learn to love like Jesus. We want our relationships to be healthy, not just in our family, but with our friends, um, in all of our relationships, whether it's work, school, with strangers, and maybe even our enemies. And we're going to talk about that a little bit today, and I know that seems a little crazy, right? When we're thinking about loving to put our enemies in that category. But I want to love like that, and I know that you do too. And so our theme passage for this series is, is, to, is Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 2. And the idea behind this is that we want to behavior our life uh, around Jesus. We want to be a model of that. Look at Ephesians 5, 1 through 2 with me, and this is out of the message translation. It says, watch what God does, and then you do it. Like the children who learn proper behavior from their parents, mostly what God does is love you. Keep company with him and learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious, but extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself to us. Love like that. I love Kara's testimony this morning. I don't, know if she, I don't think she's still in here, but yeah, her desire to just be obedient to God. And then after the fact, Carrie said, well, how much did it cost? She's like, I don't know. That's loving like Jesus, and we're going to talk some more about that today. Today we're going to look at just how profoundly approachable Jesus really was. So let me ask you a question. What would you do to be included in something? It can be anything. A game, um, a competition, a party. Everybody's had an experience similar to this. When you were in elementary, middle school, maybe even high school, you gather together where it's at re- whether it's at recess or during gym class, and they're picking teams right? And you're standing there probably much like me, not very athletic, and all of the people around you are getting chosen, and then you end up being the last pick. Raise your hand if you were ever the last pick at something. All right, I got some hands way in the air. Okay, so you feel that pressure, right? That pressure of wanting to be included, wanting to be desired, but not quite meeting the, the mark. I was joking with somebody the other day when I was in junior high and high school, I was scared to death to ask a girl to go to a dance because I was afraid of being rejected. And that's funny to think about me in that role now as an adult, but we all have felt that way before. We felt that desire to, to be connected, and God created us with that desire to be connected. Oftentimes in the church, we call that fellowship. We long to be included in what's going on. Could it be that this is the reason that Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, the creator of all things, is so approachable? 
Jesus was the most approachable person who has ever lived. Social status, a healthy financial report, race, religion, age, gender, none of that made any difference to him. This morning we're going to look at some of the characteristics of what it means to be approachable. And then we're going to talk about what that means for us individually. There's three characteristics I want us to look at this morning and then we're going to make some application. The first is that being approachable is a lost skill. I say skill, but it isn't really a skill as much as it's a decision. A decision that says, come to me. You have access. You're on the invite. You're on the invite list. If you look at Matthew chapter 11, 28 through 29, you'll see that this is kind of a great equalizer passage, mainly because Jesus emphasizes the word all. This is a passage that we're all familiar with, but look at it with me again. It says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take upon me, take upon my yoke and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. It was the leper the tax collector, the sinner, the hurting, the disenfranchised that got Jesus' special attention, which made all the religious people of that day furious. People tended to keep the holy men at a distance. But this is not so with Jesus. Everyone could approach him, rich, poor, schooled, unschooled, healthy, or sick. Whenever, years ago, whenever I was serving in the Methodist church, there was a t-shirt that came out. It was red, and it had a picture of John Wesley on it. If you don't know who that is, he's a famous theologian. He founded the Methodist church, and above it, it said, John Wesley is my homeboy, and I love that t-shirt. The adults hated it. All the purple hairs, we used to call them, hated that shirt because they felt like it was disrespectful, but I loved it because what it did was it equalized all of these students that were wearing that shirt with all of the other people in the church. It made them realize that even though John Wesley was a great theologian, he was just a person. You see, we have a tendency to put ourselves or other people on these pedestals and to view them as better or greater or smarter. And you can use any adjective you want to describe a person. But we think that they are something better than we are. And the reality is that all of us are image bearers of God and we need to begin to see ourselves and one another in the same way. The second characteristic is that being approachable means loving the rejected. Consider Matthew, one of those discussing tax collectors like Zacchaeus, who we talked about last week. Look at Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. This is Matthew writing about himself, okay? Matthew says, as Jesus went from, from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. While he was reclining at the table in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came to eat with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, when he heard this, he said, it is not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I didn't come to call the righteous but sinners. In Jesus' day, tax collectors, we talked about this last week, would add on an extra charge to the people in their region and put it right into their own pockets. That was how they made their living. They would also send out Roman soldiers to beat up anybody who didn't pay their, their amount. And this is precisely why Jews hated tax collectors, because they were essentially robbing from their own people. Usually these tax collectors were pretty sleazy, they were greedy, they were despicable people quite worthy of the disgust of the people that, that people had for them. We don't know 
what Jesus saw in Matthew, but he saw something. He simply approaches the tax collecting booth and he says two words, follow me. He looked at Matthew and he said, follow me. And he did. No doubt Matthew was taken aback that Jesus, famous Jesus, this holy man, not only gave him the time of day, but actually requested that he leave everything and become his follower. Boy, did Jesus face ridicule from the religious types because of that. But being approachable sometimes means facing rejection of others for the sake of reaching the rejected of man. It means that we join in the rejection that other people are experiencing. Jesus made a point to love those those people right there where they are, and we should do the same. Third thing, being approachable is risky to your reputation. Consider how Jesus treated the sinful woman. Look at Luke chapter 7, verse 36 through 50. This is kind of a long one, so hang in there with me. It says, Then one of the Pharisees invited him to eat with him. He entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And a woman in the town who was a sinner found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, and she brought an alabaster jar of perfume and stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to wash his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with her hair, kissing them and anointing them with perfume. I want to pause for just a second and frame this in your mind. Jesus has been invited to a religious leader's house, a guy who was about town, a guy who had money, who had wealth. He's invited to this fancy dinner. A woman hears about it, and she comes in, and as they are sitting at the table, she comes and sits behind him and begins to weep and wash his feet with her hair, dry, or wash his feet with her tear, dry it with her hair, and then anoint him with this fragrant perfume. So as that's happening, verse 39, it says, When the Pharisees who invited him saw this, he said to himself, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him. She's a sinner. And Jesus replied to him, I love and point this out too. The Pharisee did not say this out loud. He thought it in his mind. And it says, Jesus replied to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, say it, teacher. A creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one who forgave more. You've judged correctly, he told him. Turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she, with her tears, has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with olive oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Jesus was very approachable to everybody. We don't know who this woman was in this story, but we do know that she treated Jesus with respect. She anointed his feet with expensive oil and with her tears of gratefulness. And the Pharisees believed that if they touched the clothing of just common people, that they were corrupted. And here this woman, this sinner, this known sinner, is bathing his feet with her tears. For that very reason, when, when the Pharisees walked the streets, they would walk on the side so that they wouldn't be tarnished by the ordinary people. They assumed that Christ would have the same dislike for this woman that they had and that he should snub her, but he did not. Everybody has access to Jesus. If we're going to be approachable, people's value as image bearers of God has to be more value 
to us than our own reputation. Let me say that again so you don't miss it. If we're going to be approachable, people's value as image bearers of God has to be of more value to us than our own reputation. So what keeps us from being approachable? And the big part of this, the biggie, is pride. I heard this story recently. There's a lion who was proud of his, his mastery of the animal kingdom. And so one day he wants to make sure that all the other animals know that he is the king of the jungle. He's so confident that he bypassed the smaller animals and went straight to the bear. Who is the king of the jungle, he asked the bear. And the bear replied, why, of course, you are. The lion gave a mighty roar of approval. Next, he asked the tiger, who is the king of the jungle? And the tiger quickly responded, everyone knows that you are, mighty lion. Next on the list was the elephant. The elephant, he strolls up to the elephant and he addresses him with the question, who is the king of the jungle? The elephant immediately grabbed the lion with his trunk, whirled him around in the air five or six times, slammed him into a tree, then pounded him on the ground several more times, dunked him under water in a nearby lake, and finally dumped him out on the shore. The lion, beaten, bruised, and battered, struggled to his feet. He looked at the elephant through a sad and bloody eyes and said, Look, just because you don't know the answer, there's no reason to be mean about it. <laughs> Look at 1 Peter chapter 5 with me, verses 5 through 6. In the same way, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that you might exalt you at the proper time. And look also at Luke chapter 18, verses 10 through 14. Jesus tells this story. He says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee was standing and praying like this about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, greedy, unrighteous adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his chest and saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this one went down to his house justified rather than the other, because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The definition of pride is to exalt or to boast in oneself. And how ironic is it that Thursday night I said to Craig, man, I was playing great basketball tonight. And Craig very quickly told me, no, that was the Holy Spirit, Will. You were just here. But it's often even more complicated than that. This is a clear example of pride for sure, this story, my story. But pride is not always clear. Sometimes it masks itself in other ways. It causes you to think more of yourself then reality justifies. In this passage in Luke, there's this wonderfully righteous guy. He keeps the law. He does what he's supposed to do. Yet his heart isn't right and his actions seem to be. There's so much pride in this man's heart that his prayers to God are insulting the very people that God loves. This man thinks he's so good because he's kept all the rules. He thinks he's so righteous that he misses out on what prayer is and he misses a chance to connect with God because he thinks too highly of himself. But look at how the tax collector prays. His prayer is simple. It's genuine. It's real. This tax collector, for everything he has not, is a much better man than this religious leader whose pride has made his righteous actions meaningless. Pride comes when we exalt ourselves, and those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And there's no easy to learn 
No easy way to learn the lesson of humility. There's no gentle teaching to show us how to do it. It seems that the only way that we're capable of learning to be humble is by suffering the terrible consequences of our pride. We get upset, frustrated, and hurt by things that happen to us while we're blaming everybody else for our problems. Breaking down our pride means that we have to undergo a series of frustrating and humiliating events so that we can learn what it means to be humble. C.S. Lewis said that he compared to pride all other sins, greed, drunkenness, and the like, are all mere flea bites. He said that every vice comes from pride and that pride is the anti-God state of mind. So what has Jesus taught us about being approachable? We all know this story, the story of the prodigal son. I'm not going to read it this morning. I'll just paraphrase it for the sake of time. But we know this story. Man has two sons. The younger son decides that he wants to go ahead and get his inheritance. And so he asks his dad for it. And it's quite disrespectful because as we all know, you don't get an inheritance until your parents pass away. And so he's saying to his dad, you're as good as dead to me. I want what's coming to me. And so his dad, because he loves him, he gives it to him. And the young man goes off and he squanders all of his possessions. And then he has nothing. A famine comes across the land. He finds a job feeding pigs. And he's looking at the slop that he's feeding the pigs. And he's so hungry that even that looks appetizing. And he says to himself, I'm going to go home. I'm going to apologize to my dad. I'm going to ask to work for him because even his workers eat better than, than these pigs are. And so he, he prepares himself. He's got this speech all worked up in his head. He goes to the house and his dad sees him from far off. And we talked about this last week. People who are, are, are wealthy men don't run. They don't show their legs. They wear the long, they're not skirts, tunics, if you will. And his dad sees him. He hikes up his tunic and he runs to his son. He, son tries to give his speech that he's prepared to ask his dad for forgiveness. And before he even can, his dad tells him that he loves him, that he forgives him. He puts his ring on his finger. He brings him in. He throws a party. He kills the fatted calf. We know the story. But in that story, there's no evidence of a hard attitude on the part of the father toward the prodigal son. His love was unconditional and full of compassion. Had he not been approachable, he might have demanded some type of penitence from the son and would probably have given him a lecture about righteous living. Worse yet, he might have even discouraged the son from coming home at all. But the father never made such threats. Instead, he waited and watched patiently with great hope that his son would someday come home. Then one day he sees the son in the distance actually coming and he runs out to hug him. There were no lectures or demands for penance. There was no judgmental attitude. Instead, the father was thrilled beyond measure. In fact, he was so thrilled that he wrapped his expensive robe around him, put his expensive ring on him, and he killed the fatty calf. The patient and the compassionate attitude displayed toward, or by the father toward the sinful lifestyle of the prodigal son seems very different from the attitude that the church typically has towards sinners, right? We're the church. As we're thinking about what it means to love like Jesus, we need to address our own attitudes, our own preconceptions of people before we meet them. Because often we look at a person and we judge them. And this is something that happens in all of us. It's sin that all of us have and we need to let Jesus deal with it so how do we do that so what what do we do now consider this passage Luke chapter 6 verse 27 through 36 he says but I say to you who listen love your enemies do what is good to those who hate you bless those who curse you praise for those who mistreat you 
If anyone hits you on the cheek, offer the other also. And if anyone takes away your coat, don't hold back your shirt either. Give to everyone who asks of you. And for someone who takes your things, don't ask for them back. Just as you want others to do for you, do the same for them. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do what is good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do what is good, and lend expecting nothing in return. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High. For He is gracious to the ungrateful and evil. Be merciful, just as your Father is also merciful. Love your enemies and do good to them. That seems crazy, right? Is there anything more difficult to do than to love our enemies? I don't think so. The truth is that it's impossible to love your enemies. In fact, that's the core of much of this series, is that we don't have the capacity or the stuff to do that on our own. In this story of the rich young ruler, Jesus said, what is impossible with men is What is impossible with men is possible with God. Just as he can change the heart of the rich, he can change a heart of bitterness if we desire to be changed. But when we find satisfaction in hating our enemies, we grow to enjoy that hatred. And that then makes us less likely for our hearts to desire to love our enemies. Just like it's impossible for light and darkness to exist together, it's impossible for love and hate to exist at the same time. We can't do them both. We can forgive them. And once we forgive them, we can love them. And if we can forgive our enemies and we can love our enemies, then we can love anybody. Back to Luke 6. He says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners who love, uh, even sinners love those who love them back. Notice that he asked that question several times. What credit is that to you? Do the, same, do the same that sinners do? I want us to understand that sinners only love those who love them. And as we think about that for ourselves, if we only love people who love us, what does that make us? A sinner. Sinners only do good to those who do good to them. They only respect those who respect them. They only help those who help them. They only give to those who give to them, and they only share with those that share with them. Jesus is asking, how are you any different than anyone else if your condition for love is that someone else must love you first? Solomon wrote in Proverbs 25, 21, if your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat, and if he's thirsty, give him water to drink. We bless our enemies by doing good to them. Jesus says to do good to those who hate you. His point is that if ill will toward you shouldn't cause you to have ill will towards them, they could do a thousand wrongs and you will continue to do a thousand rights to them. Because once you realize that Jesus' own love has covered a multitude of your sins, it's easy to allow your love to cover a multitude of sins of other people. Church, we've got to pray for our enemies. We should not only pray for our enemies, but we should also pray that God would give us the ability to love them, because we cannot do that on our own. We pray that God would help us to forgive them because we cannot forgive them. So here's some ideas that can help you. Two more ideas, and then we're going to wrap it up, okay? First one is do something outrageous. 
Remember Ephesians 5, 2 describes Jesus' love for us as extravagant, not cautious. So if we're ever to love like Jesus, we have to push pride aside and humble our hearts. That's a given. But Jesus takes it a step further. Jesus says that if we're to truly be approachable, we must do something outrageous. We must love our enemies. He says it flat out. I tell you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who mistreat you and persecute you. Church, that's hard to do. And the only way we ever accomplish that is by simply asking God to work in our hearts and show us how to do that. Second thing, what do you want people to do for you? Do that for them. When we love like Jesus, feeling, um, uh, feelings of superiority fade and our days are punctuated with spontaneous breathings of compassion, generosity of spirit and kindness. We become accessible to anyone who feels out, left out or unwanted. When we love like Jesus, we love without exclusion. We love our enemies. If you're struggling with loving someone, take the time to put yourself in their shoes. Consider their lives. Look at it closely. Be mindful. Remember we talked about that last week. Be mindful and ask God to show you how to love them and how to do good for them. All of us want to love like Jesus. That's where we started. And that's where we're going to end. We want to love like Jesus. But in order for us to do that, we have to decide that that's important for us. And then we have to ask Him to show us how to do it. We regularly discuss how blessed we are to be loved and forgiven. We've shared a lot of testimonies today about that. Consider that grace that's been bestowed upon you by Jesus. And then love like that. Love in that way. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this challenging me uh, message for myself today and for our church. God, as we move forward in this week, as we discuss this in our life groups, as we think about what that means for us personally, God, I ask that you would reveal the people in our lives that we're struggling to love. And the reality is, God, we're, you're probably not even going to have to reveal that. We're going to know who those people are. God, I ask that you would speak to our hearts, that you would change our hearts towards those people. Jesus, that you would teach us to love like you do to love those people who do bad to us. God, to be able to, to return their bad with your good. God, that's going to take a supernatural work. That's going to be a miracle when you accomplish that in our lives, Father. But that's what we desire. We desire to be a people who know you, who pursue you, and to love like you. So Jesus, work in our hearts this week. In your name we ask these things.